episode 140, The Innovation and Disruption of Artificial Intelligence in Healthcare. Today, I speak with Sajid Ahmed, the Chief Information and Innovation Officer over at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital in Los Angeles. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Those who are not paying attention to artificial intelligence right now are going to find themselves sadly lagging behind the curve. That's my main takeaway from my conversation with Sajid Ahmed. Chief Information and Innovation Officer over at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital in LA. It's not that AI has been perfected, far from it, but the plain fact that you can't go from zero to done in one step is really true with any AI implementation. So if you want to be on the finish line at the same time as those who are already well out of the AI gate, the time to start The incremental journey was probably about two years ago. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Sajid. Thank you for having me. You are the Chief Information and Innovation Officer at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital. And I think one of the underappreciated aspects of innovation is that you are necessarily going to disrupt something. If you are integrating something new into a workflow, something else has got to go. So that's really where the term disruptors comes from. One of the major disruptors that you have spoken early and often about, my friend, is artificial intelligence. To be a disruptor, one of the things we're looking at is looking at artificial intelligence as a tool that we can leapfrog. Instead of going down the traditional business intelligence and analytics route, the goal would be to, can we incorporate new technologies? Obviously, everyone's heard of IBM Watson and its deep learning and its ability to wade through electronic health record information. There's a lot of actually over 133 companies from one report this past February are startups that are getting into artificial intelligence space in healthcare, in various aspects of healthcare, from diagnostics to data analytics. So AI has been around for a long time. And at the very inception of AI as an academic study, medicine and healthcare was one of the areas that applications were looked into. However, back in the day, I think AI is one of those terms. And one of the things I definitely want to make sure that we cover is what is the definition of AI? Because the goalposts are moving. For example, back in the 70s, they said Pong was AI. You know, that game with the the paddles, just because there was an algorithm written. You know, so if if just somebody wrote an if-then flowchart that a computer would follow, that counted as artificial intelligence. So I think the bar is getting higher, but it's kind of interesting to look back and uh, consider what AI used to mean as opposed to what do we think of it as today. You're right. Now, a lot of those were based on algorithms that took in certain input and had certain output. And yes, you could even say that was very simple AI. But in the truest sense, in the academic sense, 
it wasn't really defined as AI. Define AI 2017. AI to me in 2017, as a definition, has one specific meaning. It is the ability to emulate the decision-making power of the human brain. And what I mean by that is, take, for example, in the healthcare context, to look at a radiological image, an MRI, and be able to discern the image and figure out if there is a anomaly there that could be a precursor to a cancer. So now you have an artificial intelligence engine that is being trained to look at thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of similarly related images, putting it through its engine to learn what is that anomaly. And it's teaching it at a fast rate. That's what's called the deep learning part of AI, where a system like that can quickly learn at a very deep and specific level and be able to be as accurate, if not more accurate, than a human mind, in this case, looking at a radiological or MRI image and saying, oh, I, I see the uh, anomaly, which is a potential danger to that person. So you're defining deep learning as not a synonym of AI, but it's a component of how AI ultimately gets intelligent. Absolutely. I think AI is made up of a number of components, fuzzy logic. There's also uh, neural networks that use what's called backpropagation learning, which is the initial parts of what make up AI. And deep learning is now this term of art almost. Anybody that wants to ask a specific question can program in a few lines and say, okay, system, I want you to learn this. I want you to learn how to make better reservations based on these parameters for these individuals. In the healthcare context, I want you to look at all of these EHR medical records and identify patients that could qualify for certain FDA trials, for drug trials, that are the best match, that meet the requirements of the drug trials. And you see this happening. And another application and aspect of AI is diagnostic support, not just on looking at images and learning, but emulating the physician-patient interaction, looking at how physicians, doctors, how they, in their question and answer a dialogue with the patient, how they, in that first 10 minutes, can ascertain the top three diagnoses and then validate it with the physical examination and finally with the test. Let me just interject for a sec, because what's the difference between writing an algorithm and what artificial intelligence might be able to provide? In other words, I could sit at my desk and program some code that basically said, go through all those medical records, and if they meet the following three rules, then stick them in this bin. So what does artificial intelligence add to that equation that you couldn't do with, some, with a couple of lines of code? Right. You're absolutely right. Well, the final part of my definition, and I think the part that makes artificial intelligence really specific to how it will emulate the human mind, is the ability to learn and self-learn. So as a simple example, yeah, you can write a couple of lines of code, an algorithm, and with certain inputs, have certain outputs. With neural net technology built into the computing language, so basically, artificial neurons, you could say, that are programmed in to take in certain inputs. The computer is programmed, the artificial intelligence is programmed, but the way it's programmed is like how our minds are programmed. Our minds are programmed from birth to take in stimuli and input and interpret that. 
and to experiment and to learn from those experiments and trials and see what works, what doesn't. And so these computer systems, this artificial intelligence, one part of it is programming the algorithms that teach it how to come up with these outputs based on inputs. But the other part of it is teaching it how to learn. So an amateur like you can be given us an artificial intelligence system and say, okay, I've got a hundred pictures of me and I want you to learn how to recognize my face. Once it knows how to do that, it can recognize your face with any other picture that you provide it. Now, if there's anomalies in those pictures, that system will adapt and learn. So artificial intelligence to me is specifically emulating that human mind and the ability of that human mind to adapt and learn. And that's where AI is so different from 30 years ago. You have these massive computing powers, cloud computing, at the fingertips in your mobile device. You can use that cloud computing power, enable an AI agent to help diagnose your illness or condition wherever you are in the world, or if you are at a healthcare institution like MLK, like Geisinger, or like Mayo, where you're implementing initially these AI algorithms to figure out what to do with all this data that they're collecting on patients. How I heard it explained, which really clicked for me, was when someone said that if you're trying to explore data or make any kind of conclusion, you have to start with a hypothesis. So say that you are trying to, you have to suspect something. So say you're thinking to yourself, I have this gut feeling that this one particular pharmacological agent has some random side effect that is completely unanticipated. Then you have to set up some methodology or go through the data to hunt down evidence to prove or disprove that hypothesis. But the thing with AI, you don't need to have a hypothesis. You can just kind of toss data into the ring and the AI will basically give you conclusions without you necessarily prompting the hypothesis. Correct. If you now have this huge amounts of data that a human mind, not a single human mind, even with supporting computer tools, can wade through and figure out all of that information. Artificial intelligent program agents, they're programmed to identify patterns in places where they might not even, we might not even think they exist, they're able to find it. So we are entering this really new era of artificial intelligence. Not only, I think it's, it's transcending academic study and just being shot out into the commercial world where innovation in AI is going to rapidly develop this tool and technology. IBM Watson is one of the first steps at this, but there are so many startup companies and other large organizations that are investing in these AI tools and agents. Siri, Alexa, the Google agent, the natural language processing that these tools have and the ability to understand our voice, and then of course provide uh, some information back to us. That natural language processing is a AI-based implementation, meaning neural networks instantaneously take our signal from our voice and are able to interpret it and understand what it means. You've got these Star Trek-like translators. And I say Star Trek because the universal translator, you would speak into one side and on the other side, the language of your choice would come out and you could understand that language in reverse. That exists right now. You can buy it on Amazon. And it's amazing. For a French, Chinese, and English translation, it is happening right now. But imagine, imagine you're at home with your Alexa tool, 
your Siri on your iPhone, your Google agent on your Android phone, and you say, hey, Alexa, my knee is really hurting me. Can you help? Well, Alexa can, and, and very soon, Siri and others will tap into this kind of self-medical doctor uh, agent, self-MD as I call it, and they will interact with you through Alexa, through Siri. They will ask questions like a doctor would. You give it answers like you would give a doctor, and they would provide you with an initial diagnostic assessment and recommendation. So Alexa might be able to say, hey, you know what? That's really serious. Let me call 911 for you and get this going. Do you want me to? Yes or no. Or, hey, you know what? That's not so serious. Try these remedies that I know you have at home because I just bought them through Amazon for you. Or, hey, you know what? Let me make an appointment for your primary care doctor. You should go in and get that checked out and validated. That is maybe two to four years away, in my opinion, with shortages of doctors and nurses throughout not only the U.S., but the world in certain areas. Imagine having this agent. My opinion and foresight is if you have artificial intelligence looking at health plan data, artificial intelligence looking at medical record information at hospitals and uh, ambulatory settings and churning that data, they're going to find where the costs have been going. They're going to be able to find patients, be able to do predictive analytics and find ways to treat those patients at home and address various other aspects of care and how it's delivered, how care is accessed by patients through diagnostic agents, improve access to care. I think, and it's my soapbox, but the power of AI, I've seen a glimpse of it. I'm actually in research on it right now. And I think if people aren't looking as, at AI as seriously as they're looking at the legislation, I think they'll be caught off guard. Uh, some systems that are late to the game may find themselves behind the curve. What I'm hearing you say, and I'm just distilling what we've talked about thus far into three bins. You can use AI in order to process and, and do predictive analytics on data. So I'll put that in one bin. The other right. thing I'm, I've heard you say is that we can use AI relative to improving care. Let's use it for diagnostics or to use a larger data set than any individual human can hold in their head to process through a number of diverse signals, say, to come up with what this patient might be suffering from or dealing with. And then the third thing is reducing waste, either inefficiencies or, or wastes of, of time getting from parsing data, because AI can just do that so, so much more quickly. You nailed it down. I was taking notes while you were, were talking. So just a couple of things in, in response to what you were just articulating. One of the things that I have heard often is that computers and AI are very good at detecting patterns. In fact, humans are actually not so good at detecting patterns because we instantly get some confirmation bias and then our, our vision is a little bit cloudy from then on out. So, you know, computers are very good at very dispassionately assessing what patterns are. But one of the things they're not super good at is then figuring out what to do with the information that they have then collected. Based on your experience or, or what you guys are working on right now, is that the way you see it, that this is really good for diagnostics, but you're not going to trust it yet for you know, any sort of suggestions or maybe the suggestions are very light? Or how do you see it fitting in? I think you're not far off the mark. We're still in the early stages. And what I mean by that is 
I believe about two years ago when the noise and the resurgence, I say noise in AI, but the resurgence of AI in healthcare really began to come into the consciousness of all of us. At the last major conference in healthcare and technology, the Health Information Management Systems Societies Conference this past February, it felt like overnight everybody was on the AI bandwagon. So I think everyone is exploring where AI can help, the opportunities for cost savings, for better diagnostics, better access to care, better treatment routes, analysis of all this data. So I think uh, people are walking slowly, but the biggest barrier that I see is actually the cost. People don't know how to identify uh, what the value of this AI is just yet to justify, in some cases, some vendors such as IBM Watson and their price points. And, and I'm not making any comment other than, uh, you know, they're the first ones to really come in to kind of say, we've got a tool, they developed it, they did the R&D, and I'm sure they've got their own impressions of what the market can handle. I was speaking with actually Mike Rhea. I interviewed him several weeks ago, and he said that he likes to say that AI stands for augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence. Because if you even look at one of the ways that AI is used quite frequently these days is with chatbots, customer service chatbots. And what always happens with those customer service chatbots is that there's some human that looks at the computer-generated answer prior to it being shot out if the confidence level is lower than a predefined percentage. So in other words, if the computer is less than 95% sure that this is the right answer, then you, you have a human that's in the mix. I think one of the things that anyone who's dabbled with AI starts to understand really, really fast is that there is, in fact, a big difference between intelligence and wisdom or in being able to stack up facts in a way that actually make sense, even if there's a big missing piece. Like a, a human can just fill in that gap in a way that a computer just simply can't do and go horribly wrong in <laughs> nanoseconds. So I could see how it's difficult to sort of start assessing the value when AI is part of a toolbox that still includes the same number of people. It's kind of reapplying existing individuals instead of replacing necessarily. Are, are you seeing it the same exact way? Or All of us that are in healthcare, you know, there's a concern of the artificial part of AI. And I, I think harking back to your comment about how others see it as augmented intelligence, I think that how we introduce AI tools, augmented or artificial intelligence, is really important. In healthcare, there are some bread and butter basic stuff, you know, using it to analyze data, as we said, perhaps even in help with precision medicine, looking at genetic codes, and even using AI to help develop targeted drugs as part of that precision medicine approach. But when we look at it as, will it replace a doctor or a nurse? in that diagnostic approach? I think the answer is no. We don't want it to. We still need that human interaction. We still need that, as you said, that human interaction to perhaps fill in the gap. But I do have a caution there. Artificial intelligence, I think, is so powerful and can be so powerful with the new generation that we call the millennials that do not know a world before there was no internet, that do not know a world before there was no, perhaps, no smartphone or mobile device. I think that generation is looking for the ultimate thing as a consumer in any industry, but in healthcare. And we're going to see it 
come to the forefront, and that is convenience. If there is a tool, whether supported by AI or directly gives them uh, an AI agent that says, let me find a primary care provider for you, let me help you diagnose, or an AI agent at the health plan or the provider that says, hey, we've identified something from your last visit, or hey, we've identified these trials for you, or hey, we've noticed that you're going to this store and buying bad fast food over here, that's going to eventually affect your blood cholesterol levels. In the future, we recommend this. I think the millennial generation is probably going to be more accepting of these tools as commonplace rather than perhaps the older generations. So I think it's a brave new world out there. And a lot of this dialogue and discussion will play out, I think, in a very short timeline, uh, which is about the next two to five years. That's where I see it coming. One of the early adopters of AI was uh, MD Anderson, and there was a lot of hoopla. I forget how many years ago when they hooked up with IBM's Watson to improve their ability to do largely all the things that we've just been talking about. Recently, it just came out. There's a bunch of articles, oddly and coincidentally sort of timed with hymns, around how that partnership was starting to deteriorate. It wasn't going so well. What do you think transpired there? I mean, was it basically like someone unwilling to stay the course? Was that a broader statement about AI? That's a great question. The factors that I've heard and read, as probably others have heard and read, you know, involved both leadership. I think they involve both management of, of costs. Again, going back to what I mentioned is really accepting that cost value from IBM. Was that the right cost? I think they were project overruns from what I'd heard. And so the question really comes down to how much of it was the fault of like MD Anderson and its management versus the limitations of the artificial intelligence technology provided by IBM and or even IBM's uh, support of the implementation. And I'm a big implementation guy. I think uh, at the end of the day, if you're going to put in any technology or redesign any workflow or do any change management, implementation of that management of that project are, are key. You know, implementation sometimes trumps innovation. And I think in this case, my view from all the readings and talking to my colleagues here and there is that I believe that, you know, there was probably some misstep by the leadership at MD Anderson that contributed to some mismanagement of the project. I've heard figures as up to $62 million cost overruns. And it was a, it was a big contract for IBM, one of the earlier ones. I think it was just perhaps uh, a little bit of both, but I don't fault the technology. The technology is proving, IBM's Watson technology is proving effective in its implementations that have been effective. Here uh, with IBM and MD Anderson Cancer Center, it just became, uh, I think, a, a troubled implementation is, is my view. I think this will damage a little bit of the perception of, of AI because no one is really fessing up to what it really was the issue. It's troubling the MD Anderson, but for every one MD Anderson and IBM failure or misstep, there are at least 10 more implementations that are successful. In fact, I would highlight that now that you have entrepreneurs that are out in the industry, I know of one company uh, that I will mention, no affiliation, Deep Six. They're sponsored by uh, Cedars uh, through their Techstars Innovation Group. They do exactly what IBM Watson does, but better and faster and cheaper. They are incrementally improving this tool and technologies. 
So I think Deep Six and other companies that are out there that are in the space using AI tools, they're really going to come up and innovate. I hope for IBM's sake, they don't repeat their past of creating an amazing tool and technology, but missing the mark on how they implement it, how they deploy it, how they price it, and, and not be aware that there is a lot of competition coming down the pipeline that is going to be faster, cheaper, maybe even better than what they have designed. So ICMD Anderson as hopefully a small blip. It was an earlier implementation. And again, with all new disruptive, innovative technologies, sometimes that technology will work in one setting, sometimes it won't. I think in this case, it, it is all about how you implement, how you deploy, and how leaders go around it. And what you're just saying definitely mirrors every anecdotal experience which I have had relative to innovation and the idea that in certain cases, I would say probably more often than not, there's an extreme focus on the innovation, very, you know, inspecting and polishing up that innovation and much less attention focused on how are we going to implement this and how there will be something that breaks because this is a brand new thing. So how are we going to continuously improve? Who's going to be on that team to make this sustainable? There's just so little attention focused on, or is this aligned with strategy, this innovation which we've cooked up? I think if there's one lesson to be learned, it's implementation is is not just this long tail that's dragging along behind. It is something that deserves its own unique focus. I still very much claim that AI will be the single most disruptor in healthcare. It'll be the fourth revolution after the information and, and computer revolutions that we've had. But I think there are just lessons learned. Healthcare is such a unique and such a diverse and such a separate industry from everything else. It has different perceptions. It's not a free market economy. It's, it's, a, it's, it's completely driven by different mechanics, different rules, and, and different accesses into that industry. Uh, but you can disrupt. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Sajid. No, thank you. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.